Hello, everybody. You know, it's Advent, and some denominations insist that the faithful should fast or afflict themselves during these times until Christmas Day, in which case then they begin celebrating. Now, that's not really for me. I think of Advent as a celebratory time in which we look forward to our Lord Jesus Christ coming back. We look forward to the fulfillment of God's promises and look back on Christmas as the prime example of Christ fulfilling that promise for us. But I do afflict myself. I really do. You know how I'm doing it this month? I'm reading the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> Let's get right into it with the words of Moses, supposedly Moses. You see, as we started last week, there is a big gaggle of documents here in the Apocrypha of the Dead Sea Scrolls that purportedly is written by a bunch of people that didn't write any of it. It's all pseudepigrapha, false authors. And as we've been covering, uh, they've been having something of a priestly bent to them. They've been introducing pseudepigrapha based on Levi, his son Kohath, and then his son Amram, and now they finally get to Moses. Now, this will be interesting because as much as the Qumran community proclaimed to love, love, love the law, they didn't. They really didn't. They couldn't even get the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, correct. They have no clue what they're doing when it comes to the law. They are idolaters. But maybe they excuse it just a little bit here with their pseudepigrapha. Let's go ahead and take a look. The words of Moses. God spoke to Moses in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the 11th month on the first day of the month, saying, Gather together all the congregation and go up to Mount Nebo and stand there. You and Eliezer, son of Aaron, interpret to the heads of family of the Levites and to all the priests and proclaim to the children of Israel the words of the law which I proclaimed to you on Mount Sinai. Proclaim carefully into their ears all that I require of them and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For they will not love what I have commanded them to do, neither they nor their children during all the days they shall live upon the earth. For I say that they will abandon me, and will choose the abominations of the nations, their horrors and their idols. They will serve false gods which shall be for them a snare and a pitfall. They will sin against the holy days, and against the Sabbath and the covenant, and against the commandments which I command you to keep this day. Therefore I will smite them with a mighty blow in the midst of the land which they cross the Jordan to possess. And when all the curses come upon them and catch up with them and destroy them and blot them out, then shall they know that the truth has been fulfilled with regard to them. Then Moses called Eleazar son of Aaron and Joshua son of Nun and said to them, Speak all these words to the people, dot, dot, dot. Be still, O Israel, and hear. This day shall you become the people of God, your God. You shall keep my laws, my testimonies, and my commandments, which I command you to keep this day. And when you cross the Jordan, so that I may give you great and good cities, and houses filled with all pleasant things, and vines and olives which you have not planted, and wells which you have not dug, beware when you have eaten and are full that your hearts be not lifted up, and that you do not forget what I have commanded you to do this day. 
for it is this that will bring you life and length of days. And Moses spoke to the children of Israel and said to them, Behold, forty years have passed since the day we came out of the land of Egypt, and today has God our God uttered these words from out of his mouth, all his precepts and all his precepts. Yes, they really do repeat it themselves. All his precepts and all his precepts. Okay, thanks. But how shall I carry your loads and burdens and disputes alone? When I have established the covenant and commanded the way in which you shall walk, appoint wise men whose work it shall be to expound to you and your children all these words of the law. Watch carefully for your own sakes, that you keep them, lest the wrath of your God kindle and burn against you, and he stop the heavens above from shedding rain upon you, and the water beneath the earth from giving you harvest. And Moses spoke further to the children of Israel, Behold the commandments which God has commanded you to keep, dot, dot, dot. Well, it almost appears close to the beginning here that this is just a recap of some stuff that happens in Deuteronomy. God has Moses give this swan song, this final speech to the children of Israel, and he's going to tell them quite plainly in chapters 28 through 30 that they're going to fail. They're going to fail real hard. They are going to go into exile. He just flat out predicts it. So at first, this document, the quote-unquote words of Moses, is giving us a recap of that until the end, which says, How shall I carry your loads and burdens and disputes alone? Oh, woe is me. I'm Moses. And of course, I had these judges that helped me that my father-in-law suggested I have, but that's not enough. Oh, my goodness. Appoint wise men whose work it shall be to expound to you and your children all these words of the law. If only there was a group in the first century BC and first century AD that just knew the inside track of scripture. You know, I really hope they're in the deserts. I really hope they're in Qumran. <laughs> yes, this is a work of pseudepigrapha in which the Qumran community is justifying their position as a teaching magisterium uh, by which they could interpret the scriptures and the law as they pleased. Which is very convenient because now they can go ahead and interpret away all those laws that they're violating. Isn't that just how it works? But now we have a next document that maybe adds a little bit to it. The Sermon on the Exodus and the Conquest of Canaan, it's only a couple paragraphs here, and it's very fragmentary, unfortunately. It says, And the nations rose up in anger, dot, 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 fragmentary, in their actions and in the uncleanness of the deeds of dot, dot, dot. And there was no remnant for them, and none who escaped, and for their posterity, dot, dot, dot. And he made a plantation for us, his elect, in the land that is the most desirable of all the lands. Dot, dot, dot. And he made him as a god over the mighty and as a cause of dread for Pharaoh. Dot, dot, dot. They melted and their hearts trembled and their entrails dissolved. And he had mercy. Dot, dot, dot. And when he made his face shine on them for healing, they strengthened their heart once more and knowledge. Dot, dot, dot. None having known you, they melted and trembled. So what's going on here? Well, first, Moses is a big deal. We need to understand that. Moses is a big deal for us as Christians because it is 
through Moses that God gave us the Ten Commandments. Moses recorded all of these things faithfully in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, including the promises of the Gospel and the first instance of the dynamic of law and Gospel, how we were created, everything. But if you're a first century BC or first century AD Hebrew, Moses is all the more important because living under the old covenant, you had all of these ceremonial laws to follow. And it is under Moses's leadership that the children of Israel had the Exodus, the Passover, that they began to go through the wilderness to learn to trust God, to really have faith for the first time. So if you're going to set up an evil cult that appeals to people that are Old Testament respecters, people of the law of Torah, then you need to do two things about Moses. One, you need to reassure people that you're talking to that you take Moses eminently seriously. After all, you can see us preaching here a sermon on the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan. We love Moses. You, you make them feel more comfortable showing them that, yes, you take Moses seriously. But then, sneakily, like Qumran does, you need to denigrate Moses' authority by saying, oh yes, he wrote these perfect laws, but you, you really need a magisterium here to tell you not to steal. And by the way, by not steal, here's what we really mean by that and why that's acceptable under certain circumstances. Oh yeah. This is something that's happened multiple times throughout history. We see it with Qumran right now. And they're using this apocryphal practice here, this pseudepigrapha, in order to establish their new authority as a teaching magisterium to interpret the law. And sometimes that goes ahead and just excuses or encourages sin because after all, we can just interpret it in such a way that sin is acceptable. Now, certainly that wouldn't happen with documents like the <clears throat> certain collection of interpretive works, would it? Hmm, that certainly wouldn't happen with the oral tradition of the Pharisees, would it? And just thinking out loud. Anyway, let's move on here to a Moses apocryphon. Oh yes, they keep going. Moses was the lightning rod for authority. If he wrote it, people agreed with it. That's how big of a deal he was. Fragment 1. You will do all that your God has commanded you from the mouth of the prophet. You will keep all these precepts, and you will return to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And your God will desist from the wrath of his great anger to save you from your misery. And the prophet who will arise and speak defection in your midst, turning you away from your God, shall be put to death. But if the tribe from which he originates stands up for him and says, Let him not be put to death, for he is righteous, he is a trustworthy prophet. You, your elders, and your judges will come with that tribe to the place which your God will choose within one of your tribes to appear before the anointed priest on whose head the oil of anointing has been poured. Well, that's very interesting. Now, we have more here in the Moses Apocryphon. But the Bible says pretty succinctly in Deuteronomy, if there's a false prophet, that false prophet's got to die. Oh, but what if there's conflict? What if there's disagreement here? We need an arbiter here who can decide this for us. And ah, this happens to be the high priest. Most likely, in Qumran's thinking, the Zadokite priest who started the Qumran community. 
This is more shoring up of their authority to arbit disputes. Moses Apocryphon, next fragment. Now again, there's maybe some separation here. They're on different pages, and they're different scrolls entirely, these Moses Apocrypha here. But this is the second out of three with that label. They're probably related. They shall shed light on you, and he shall go out with it with tongues of fire. The left-hand stone on his left side will show itself to the eyes of the assembly until the priest has completed his speech. And afterwards, the dot, dot, dot has gone up, dot, 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 and you shall keep and do all that he shall speak to you. And the prophet, dot, 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 preaches rebellion. Again, that connects us to the previous fragment here. According to all this judgment, and if the prince of the whole congregation shall be in the camp, and dot, 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 his enemy and Israel is with him, or if they go against a city to besiege it, or any matter which dot, 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 to the prince, the distant field. And that's it for this very fragmentary text. But notice here a stone, a tongue of fire, and a left-hand stone on his left side here, a priest having all of this as the arbiter among the prophets. We covered in parts 25 and 26 that Qumran was likely established and started by a disgruntled priest, somebody of a Zadokite lineage, who was very, very angry with what he saw as an illegitimate priesthood out there in Jerusalem. So here, he really wants to establish a supremacy of the priesthood as arbiter, as the guy that pushes around the prince, as the guy that can even supersede the authority of the prophets who act as spokesmen for God. And how is he going to do it? He's going to have a magic tongue of fire, and he's going to have a magic left-hand stone on his left side that will show itself to the eyes of all the assembly until he's finished his speech. Now, it's silly. This man really did fancy himself to be the teacher of righteousness and the supreme authority over everything, but he's really got to shore that up, that the priests are the head honchos after everything. After all, I mean, Moses wrote this, right? And he was the guy leading around Israel entirely. So the priests, they got to be boss. They got to be in charge. We gave him a magic stone and a tongue of fire. Now, by the way, speaking of that tongue of fire, this is the point in which certain people in the Qumran cottage industry, the Dead Sea Scrolls industrial complex that just loves to deceive Christians, this is where they would go, aha, aha, see, tongue of fire. Tongue of fire, don't you remember Pentecost? This is clearly Christianity having a great influence from Qumran. This is one of those secrets that they don't want you to know, man. But no, we don't know when this particular Moses Apocryphon was written. It could very well have been after Pentecost in 33 AD. And in that case, this would be Qumran and the Essenes, the competing sects trying to gain supremacy over all of Judea, would have seen the tongue of fire thing and go, oh, we need a guy that can do that too, just like these uh, apostles of this Jesus guy. That's very well a possibility. But in addition to that, a tongue of fire is just a turn of phrase. Yes, it happened supernaturally with real tongues of fire over the apostles at Pentecost. However, it is also a turn of phrase which can call back to the coal of fire which went upon Isaiah's mouth. 
It can be a turn of phrase that says somebody speaks with conviction. It is not evidence of copycatism in the Christian church. But I digress. Let's go ahead and read this third Moses Apocryphon. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who art righteous in all thy ways. Be mighty in strength, dot, 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 in thy judgments, thou who art faithful. Thou art understanding with all intelligence, dot, 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 might. Thou who art, dot, 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 to bring out, dot, 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 who hast created the morning as a sign to reveal the dominion of the light as the boundary of the daytime, dot, 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 for their work. To bless thy holy name thou hast created them, for the light is good, dot, dot, dot. Thou art, dot, 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 who hast created the evening as a sign to reveal the dominion of darkness, dot, 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 from labor. Thou hast created them to bless thy holy name when they see that the light is good. And when, dot, 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 thou hast created the evening as a sign to mark the appearance of the dominion of darkness. Now, this is pretty interesting. It does... Uh, shore up the Qumran symbolism here of light and darkness, the sons of light versus the forces of darkness. They're claiming that Moses wrote this as a matter of course to justify their belief in light, good, darkness, bad. But it's more than that. Because now they want to shore it up, claiming, and I quote again, Thou hast created them to bless thy holy name when they see that the light is good, and when dot 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 thou hast created the evening as a sign to mark the appearance of the dominion of darkness. Ooh, dominion of darkness. We just said darkness is bad. So God must have created nighttime to show people that evil exists. I almost imagine them crossing their eyes when they say that and like getting nauseous at their own weirdness here. Uh, no, God did not create nighttime to show people what evil is. Though God has always shown a light and dark comparison between good and evil, I highly doubt that he created nighttime just to make people aware of evil. But it is very clever that these people would put words in Moses' mouth that would defend and even justify their rhetoric. So that if you really want to be a student of the law, and you really want to follow what Moses taught the children of Israel, then my goodness, you have to adopt the mental framework of this Qumran community. That's genius. It's evil, but it's ingenious here. They are fakers faking a fake Moses. They are throwing out a decoy Moses to command people, essentially, to adopt their thinking, their mannerisms, to accept their authority, and ultimately to do what they want. Ugly stuff. But we continue on here. Now this is an apocryphal Pentateuch text, formerly called a Moses Apocryphon number 4. Let's keep reading here. They will understand the precepts of Moses. And Elibah answered and said, Hearken, congregation of the Lord, and listen, all the assembly. Dot, dot, dot. Cursed be the man who does not stand by. Keep and practice all the commandments of the Lord issued by the mouth of Moses, his anointed, and follow the Lord, the God of our fathers. He who commanded us from the mountain of Sinai. And he spoke to the people of Israel face to face as a man speaks to his friend, dot, dot, dot. 
He made us look at a consuming fire from under the heaven, and on the earth he stood on the mountain to make it known that there is no God beside him and no rock like him. And all the assembly, dot, 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 and trembling seized them because of the glory of God and the marvelous voices, dot, dot, dot. And they stood at a distance. And Moses, the man of God, was with God in the cloud, and the cloud covered him. For, dot, 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 when he was hallowed, and out of his mouth he spoke like an angel. For who is a messenger like him? A man of grace, who were not created from everlasting to everlasting, dot, dot, dot. Again, establish the authority of Moses, then undermine the authority of Moses to supplant him. This has been their strategy, as we've seen thus far. And here's another one, another Moses Apocryphon that may theoretically be a Davidic Apocryphon. It's very brief and kind of inconsequential to everything we've been reading thus far, but it says, all his servants, Og, dot, 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 his height was, dot, 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 and a half cubits and two cubits were his breadth, dot, 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 a spear like a cedar tree, dot, 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 a shield like a tower, the nimble-footed, dot, 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 he who removed them seven stadia. I did not stand, dot, 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 and I did not change. The Lord our God broke him, and prepared wounding slings together with bows, and not, dot, 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 for war to conquer fortified cities and to rout. And this could be considered a Moses Apocryphon due to Og, king of Bashan, supposedly being a really big dude according to some Hebrew traditions, but it does sound a lot more like it lines up with David's story. I guess we'll never know, because it's a teeny tiny fragment. Moving on, though, we have the prophecy of Joshua. For behold, a son is born to Jesse, son of Perez, son of Judah. He is to take the rock of Zion, and from there he is to possess the Amorites, dot, 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 to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. Gold and silver, cedars and cypress trees will he bring from Lebanon to build it. And the sons of, dot, 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 and David. The Lord will make him dwell in security, dot, 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 the Lord of heaven will reside with him forever. But now the Amorites are there, and the Canaanites, dot, 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 inhabitant whom I consider guilty, whom I have not sought, dot, 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 from you. And the Shilonite, and the dot, 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 I have made him a slave, dot, 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 and now to a distance from dot, 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 Eliezer. Sorry for all the dot, dot, dots. Of course, it is fragmentary. But now we see that they're not just doing this with Levi. They're not just doing this with Kohath or Amram or Moses, although Moses seems to be the biggest uh, rock of offense here that they're trying to build, their own personal decoy Moses to get you to chase after that instead of the real Moses. Uh, Joshua's got to be included too. Joshua definitely has to be included because if you're going to say that this person or that person has to be running the country, then you got to be able to say, ah, yes, even Joshua, our conquering leader here who helped us take over Canaan, even he supports our narrative concerning who should be in charge of Judea. This is why we also have a longer Joshua Apocryphon. It's also been called the Psalms of Joshua, but it's not really Psalms. Let's go ahead and read here. It's fragmentary, but longer. 
And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho and Beth Shejimoth, Beth Jeshimoth, Hebrew word, as far as Abelshtim for 30 days, and then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And the children of Israel, dot, 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 the covenant which the Lord made for, dot, 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 they dread and fear. Next fragment. For the Lord your God, dot, 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 to establish his words which he spoke, dot, 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 the oath which he swore to Abraham to give him a good and broad land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. For this is a land flowing with milk and honey, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Okay, thus far we're reading this Apocryphon and we're seeing a little bit of scriptural quotations here. It almost sounds Midrashic. We're getting a lot of references to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're getting a lot of references to uh, Numbers chapter 33 and Deuteronomy 34. Okay, and thus far it seems like it's just a Midrash summary of stuff for people to know the basic tack of the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Joshua. But we continue... Moses, oh my God, and he did not annihilate them because of their sins, dot, dot, dot. Thy people by the hand of Joshua, minister of thy servant Moses, thy, dot, 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 by the hand of Moses, to Joshua for the sake of thy people, the covenant which thou hast made with Abraham, dot, 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 loving kindness to thousands. Next fragment. They crossed the Jordan on dry grounds in the first month of the 41st year of their exodus from the land of Egypt. That was a jubilee year in the beginning of their entry into the land of Canaan, and the Jordan overflows its banks from the fourth month until the wheat harvest. Dot, dot, dot. Ah, now we're starting to see a little bit of that calendric obsession here that we see with various documents in Qumran insisting on their calendar. But we continue on here with the next fragment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, dot, 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 when Joshua finished offering praise in his thanksgivings. He said, Cursed be the man who rebuilds this city. May he lay its foundations on his firstborn and set its gate on his youngest son. Behold, an accursed man of Belial has risen to become a fowler's net to his people and a cause of destruction to all his neighbors. And his brother arose and ruled in lies, both of them being instruments of violence. They have rebuilt this city and have set up for it a wall and towers to make it a stronghold of ungodliness in Israel and a horror in Ephraim and in Judah and a great evil among the children of Jacob. And they have committed an abomination in the land and a great blasphemy and shed blood like waters on the ramparts of the daughter of Zion and in the precincts of Jerusalem. Ah, so now we see why they wrote this. They just can't help themselves. When we looked at their biblical interpretations, there were some times when they would start with just reading the Bible or trying to translate something, trying to give something of an orthodox interpretation to a verse, but then they just, they just can't help themselves. They got to bring their own personal feuds, grudges, and hate into it. So now they're saying Belial. Now Belial here being a figure in the Dead Sea Scrolls that we've seen earlier, the lord of the evil, non-elect, everything but the Qumran community, guys. Belial, that demon who is like a bad watcher that escaped judgment or something. We found out about that last week. So in this apocryphon in which they're bringing up the destruction of Jericho and Joshua 
cursing whoever would rebuild it. Now, in the Bible, that's a guy named Hiel here. From 1 Kings chapter 16, it says, In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram his firstborn and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua the son of Nun. Joshua laid out that prophetic curse, and uh, Biel here, Hiel, he is the guy that went out and did that. Unfortunately, this was during the reign of Ahab. It's a snapshot into Israel's further decline and slide into wickedness. But Qumran wants to put words in Joshua's mouth saying, Oh no, oh no, see, this isn't just that guy. This is actually something that's going to happen centuries and centuries later where like Belial, the evil watcher demon, is like possessing a dude. He's like accursed and stuff. And he's going to be people that do stuff we don't like. Maybe they're thinking about the Hasmoneans. Maybe they're thinking about the Herodian dynasty. And he's saying, they have rebuilt this city and have set up for it a wall and towers to make it a stronghold of ungodliness in Israel and a horror in Ephraim and in Judah and a great evil among the children of Jacob. They're really, really mad. And maybe you could think that this is just uh, the Qumran community writing this apocryphon, trying to explain why this Hiel guy here built this during Ahab's reign false. We know that Joshua could not have written this because it says they have committed an abomination in the land and a great blasphemy and shed blood like waters on the ramparts of the daughter of Zion and in the precincts of Jerusalem. That's not something that would have been in Joshua's vocabulary. Precincts of Jerusalem? The daughter of Zion? And no, he didn't talk like that in the book of Joshua. He had nothing to do with that sort of language, and that is most definitely something that marks Roman or Greek rule. So the writers of Qumran here accidentally tip their hand. What they're trying to do is have a decoy Joshua, just like their decoy Moses, say, Ah, yes, I curse the man who rebuilds Jericho, especially that man that is an accursed servant of Belial, uh, who's going to be in the first century B.C., Judea. That guy. People reading this. Apply this to right now so you hate people that Qumran hates. Do it. <laughs> They've tipped their hand though that given just the language that Joshua never used is present, they've accidentally given away the game. No wonder this was stored around in their trash cans out there in their caves. It sounds to me like maybe they tried showing it to people and going, Dude, Joshua said you totally have to hate the people out there in the Hasmoneans and the Herodians. Look at that. They they did stuff in Jericho. And uh, then people went, um, that's not Joshua. And then they like ran away and they're like, oh, darn, store this one for later. Put it in the caves. We'll, uh, we'll write another one. Maybe they'll believe that. And they did. We have a very brief fragment here. This will be our last thing to read today, a Joshua Apocryphon 2. They were afraid, dot, dot, dot. They were praising the name of the Most High, for they saw that, dot, 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 God was fighting for his people against their enemies, and they were not afraid because of them. For God was with them and blessed them and saved them. And whatever he said about them happened to them, and no word fell to the ground, and he multiplied their seed greatly. 
Okay, well, we don't have the full document there of this Joshua Apocryphon, but I'm sure it got into more of the same. Now, why am I harping so much on pseudepigrapha as lies? Let's say you have a friend. You have a friend who walks up to you and says, Hey, buddy, I've got a super secret scroll here. It's written by Moses. Like, totally, dude. Let's go ahead and read it, man. This is like the scroll of Moses to my friend to get him to beat up Billy, because I hate Billy. And here's how it reads, fam. It's a little fragmentary. Dot, dot, dot. Thus says Moses. For real, for real. No cap. On God. You beat up Billy right now because I'm a super awesome Moses. Thou the awesome. Canaan. Og king of Bashan. But Billy. We beat up Og king of Bashan, a.k.a. Billy, who's the guy you're going to beat up for me because I told you to. I'm Moses. Would you believe that guy? <laughs> if he just came up to you and he had this little parchment and stuff and it's Sharpie clearly written in his handwriting? Of course not. In fact, you should rebuke him for blaspheming like this. Trying to add to the words of scripture. And then in the book of Revelation, it's very, very clear, it's very clearly stated that if you add to the words of scripture a lot of curses are going to come down on you. Let's turn to that very briefly here in our last moments together for this recording. From Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now God makes sure that you understand, that everybody understands that if you mess with his word, the word of God, you're host. You're up a creek without a paddle. You do not get to pass go. And if you're not going to repent, well, terrible, terrible, terrible things are going to happen to you. Pseudepigraphal practices put words in the mouths of saints. They take the word of God and make a mockery of it in order to jump on their high horse and get you to do stuff. It's stupid, pig-headed, sinful, it's wrong. And the notion that the Dead Sea Scrolls were a huge discovery when clearly they were an accursed community. They were a cult that God forced to go extinct on account of these terrible sins that they were committing, it's not a good discovery. I don't care. It belongs in the dustbin of history. And we will cover more of why that is when we finish up their pseudepigrapha and get into a little bit of their Genesis weirdness next week. Amen and amen.